It's good to see some of your faces today. As you know, after over a year of a difficult coronavirus pandemic, we have finally started to relax some of the mask mandates that we have had that were put in place, of course, to slow the spread of the virus and to provide for our protection. And so it's a pleasure to see not just your eyes, for some of you, but some of your faces, those of you who are fully vaccinated. If you remember at the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic, there were some who resisted and opposed and refused to wear masks. We know them as anti-maskers. And they had different reasons, perhaps, but one of the reasons was surely autonomy. They might have used the word freedom, but autonomy is a better word, and not just because it's a Greek word, which it is, from the words aftos and nomos, meaning having yourself as a law, self-ruled or self-directed. And this was captured, I thought, very well by a high-profile Alabama political figure who tweeted during the contentious political season, we're Alabama, nobody tells us what to do. (laughs) But autonomy is a problem, friends. Autonomy is a problem. We know what happens when people refuse to wear face masks during a pandemic in which a virus is spread primarily by airborne particles, and that is that more people die than need to die. We know what happens when people take an autonomous stance in marriage and insist on doing their own things. Honey, I bought a Porsche. I quit my job. That's going to go over really well, isn't it? And in the church, we also face the problem of autonomy. And when we do things that we know we shouldn't do, when we act in a way that is contrary to the way we know we should act, I could give examples like having a ministry meeting without the priest present, for example, or starting a meal without a prayer, little things like that, and there are bigger things too. But when we act in an autonomous way in the church, you make your priest angry, you make your bishop angry. Do you really want the person who's going to be burying you and marrying you and baptizing your children and visiting you in the hospital? You really want him to be angry with you. I don't think you do. But that's what happens when we act with autonomy. And we heard today about the healing of the paralytic, but what we didn't hear was what happens right after the healing of the paralytic. The Jewish religious leaders thought that Jesus was acting with autonomy, and that was a problem for them. First of all, he healed on the Sabbath, which was for them a big deal, a big no-no. You don't do that. And then he said, my father is working still and I am working. And he makes himself equal to God in a way by claiming God as his father. This was a big problem for these Jewish religious leaders because they said, how in the world do you have the audacity to make yourself equal to God. But it's very interesting to look at how Jesus responds to them. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, 
The Son can do nothing of himself, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. And it's interesting, he says later, the Father judges no one but has given all judgment to the Son. But he says that he himself does not judge on his own authority. Jesus says that. He says, I do not judge on my own authority. I do not judge according to my will, but according to the will of the Father who sent me. So even Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, who is equal to God, shows us an example of submission to the Father, of not acting in an autonomous way, but according to the will of his Father. And it's a beautiful thing that he gives us, this beautiful example. And so what are we to do with this? Well, in the church, we have a practice I'm going to tell you about in a minute. But first, it should be said. There are rare times when you should act according to your own will if the people who are asking you to do something are asking you to do something contrary to God's will. But most of the time, as a general rule, we should always do this. We should ask for a blessing. That's what we do in church. We ask for a blessing. We ask for a blessing. I taught Cole this morning how to ask for a blessing before he serves as a reader or as a liturgical assistant. I taught him how to go and find a robe and bring his robe to the priest and ask for a blessing to serve. And now he knows what to do and how to do that. And dear brothers and sisters, I'm your priest, but I'm not asking you this to make my life easier, although it will make my life easier. I'm asking you because of the great blessing we get from asking for a blessing. And the blessing we get is that we avoid mistakes. And mistakes cause suffering and pain for ourselves and for other people. So I implore you, start that practice. Ask for a blessing whenever you do anything in the church and also outside of the church. Spouses ask for each other's blessing before you embark on some activity. Children ask for the blessing of your parents. Employees should act with submission to their employers. Unless, of course, again, the rare examples where they're asking you to do something illegal or something like that. And of course, it holds for us here in the church as the body of Christ. And if we do this, brothers and sisters, not only will we hopefully make fewer mistakes and have less pain and suffering, but we will have greater harmony amongst ourselves. So through the prayers of the paralytic, whose autonomy got him absolutely nothing for 38 years, may we be given the grace to seek the blessing of each other and of God, and may he give us peace and harmony in return.